Welcome back to the Sugnitus Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. I'm here with Ronan McLaughlin. How are you, Ronan? I'm good. Um, I think that's the first time I've seen you had to take three goes at that. Welcome <laughs> to the Sugnitus. Are you getting a bit... Uh, is this Tour de France wearing you thin a bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, generally, generally, I have sort of a rough spot around uh, like stage four, which is actually about how long I've been here for. Because normally I show up a, like a week before the Tour de France starts. And then, you know, so by stage four, I've been here for about 10 days. And I think that's about, about how long I've been here. So this, today's stage four for me. <laughs> I'm just, I'm having a rough one. I'm having a rough one. Uh, we're in Poe at the moment home to all sorts of interesting history here at the Tour de France. Uh, one of my very first tours. This is the 73rd time or possibly the 74th. I can't remember the, whether it was 73 previous or this is the 73rd, but a lot of times the Tour de France has come to Poe. Many times it is a rest day and rest days at the Tour de France for decades. We're just full of fascinating things that would happen. You, you would have positive doping tests. You'd have all kinds of, of interesting stuff. One of my first tour, tours, actually, uh, I was having a lovely dinner here in Poe and uh, got interrupted two thirds of the way through because Frank, Sch Frank Schleck had tested positive and we had to go hang off of his uh, off of the gates outside his hotel and try to get a quote and it was, a, it was a, a riveting first experience here at the Tour de France. And there's been many of those over the years. It's also where Wout van Aert had his crash a few years back in the time trial. Thought it might have been career-ending at the time. That's right. It was uh, the TT and kind of a nasty right-hand corner. Uh, Ian Trellor and I were on the race at that point in time. And we walked down there and it was a, it was a bad scene. It was, it was nasty. And yeah, it could have been... I think people actually... We've all sort of forgotten that that happened to him, but it, it really could have been career-ending, that particular crash. And way before that, but Joseba Balaki effectively had a career-ending crash in Poe in, what was that, 2003? Coming uh, into Poe, yeah. That other guy had to go through the field. Yep. Some other guy. Some other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything against Lance Armstrong. Yeah. It just, that just seems it, like the dumb thing. Though, yeah, but, it's just, it's just yeah. you know, we're just... It's an easy, it's an easy win. <laughs> it's an easy win. Um, Ronan, we're actually, so we're sitting on this, on this terrace here, uh, right near the center of Poe. And um, right just over your right shoulder is uh, a person of interest here at the Tour de France. Mm -hmm. He's won five of these races, hasn't he? Yeah. Mm. He's currently tied for the most stage wins at the Tour de France with Mark Cavendish. Who could it be? <laughs> Eddie Merckx just walked by. He's just hanging out over there. And uh, he doesn't look like he's really ready for a podcast interview. He's currently drinking beers he's getting, with, he's with getting, his buddies. He's loosening up. I'm sure he'll come over and speak to us about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll snag him in 45 minutes when he's got a couple beers in him. Anyway, that's what happens in Poe. <laughs> You're hanging out at the Tour de France, and right behind you it just walks Eddie Merckx. Just very rude. He pointed out my bald spot when he's walking over <laughs> the table. <laughs> All right, let's get into let's get into this episode. But before we do, if you have seen any of the tour coverage this year, which I can't imagine you'd be listening to this podcast if you haven't watched any of the tour coverage this year, you will have spotted Continental logos all over this year's tour. Conti has a long relationship with the tour, not only with the tires of teams taking part, but in many other ways. Conti is in fact one of the tour's main partners. 
The red Skoda Enyaq EV used by Christian Prudhomme and his team is clad in Conti tires, specifically developed for EVs, as are the other support vehicles used by the Tour organization. Having the right tires in your car, SUV, EV, motorbike, or bicycle is super important, and having tires that are developed and precision-made in Germany can only be a good thing. So whether you're using GP5000s, Eco Contacts, or Sport Contacts, you know you're using tires that are trusted by the Tour de France. Those Sport Contacts are actually, they're everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. And uh, I've heard from directors that they like them on their, their wagons uh, that they're driving behind the Peloton because having been in a, in a Tour de France uh, caravan, well, not caravan, in, in a car in the Tour de France before, uh, well, they have to keep up with the riders going down hills, which turns out is actually quite difficult. It's, it's some serious driving. And directors have told me before that they, really, they, they specifically asked for those tires to be put on just to keep up with the Peloton, basically. As a random aside. <laughs> so, Ronan, the mountains are over. We had the final uphill finish of the Tour de France today. Tomorrow's a flat stage and then we have a time trial, and then we have the Champs-Élysées, and it's over. Where do we stand at the, uh, at the end of Luzardiden, which was the final climb today? Well, uh, we sort of stand very, very similar to what we did yesterday. Uh, the stage was, again, won by Tadej Pogacar, um, stamped his authority all over the second mountain stage in a row, taking his second stage one in a row. Uh, today he won the stage by two seconds from Jonas Vinegard, very similar to yesterday, and slightly further back was Richard Carapaz in third place. So, no change in the stage podium, no change on the GC podium, nothing to report. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Walt Poles today? Uh, Walt Poles has had a quite an eventful 24 hours, hasn't he? Um, he had a bit of an issue yesterday evening, I think it was. Uh, we'll get into that later in the episode. Uh, his whole team actually had a bit of an issue, the police raid, but I think we're getting into that later. Specifically in terms of today's stage, uh, White Poles came into the stage leading the King of the Mountains competition, uh, but today Pogaccia has stamped his authority all over that competition as well, and having come into the stage in second place, uh, courtesy of taking victory on Luzardi Den today, he is now leading that competition with an unassainable... Many points that? 20? 19 points lead. So there you go. Three jerseys, including yellow. Uh, I mean, it was kind of always going to happen, right? It, it, it. Well, we talked a little bit about this the other day, sort of whether the climber's jersey needs to be changed, whether the, the point system needs to be changed. And I don't know if it really does, because again, he's the best climber in the race, right? There's no question about that. He's shown us that every single time it goes uphill with any consequence. So maybe it's exactly how it should be. I think technically speaking, he is the king of the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I still don't think this was inevitable and in that, you know, I, th I think a lot of people would have predicted that the, G the KOM contenders would have been in a breakaway either today or yesterday and sort of amassed a, a rake of points that would have held off Pogaccio regardless of his stage ones. But just the way the race unfolded, I think those King of the Mountains contenders sort of marked each other out of it. Uh, you also had the Enios tactic again, which we'll get into later in the episode, which meant that Pogaccio could take a stage one. 
if not yesterday, certainly today. Uh, that might not have happened had it not been for that. So, yeah, it's uh, we were just talking last night on the episode about how exciting the King of the Mountains competition is this year with so many good climbers going for it, and now it feels like it wasn't exciting at all. <laughs> well, it's just it's just the end of it, right? It'd yes. be this, I mean, the end of the mountains. It's the end of the of the KOM. We we have a winner, and it turns out it's the same guy that's winning everything else <laughs> at this point in time. For the record. The third jersey has is the young rider competition yes. for riders aged under twenty five. Yep. And yeah, he has the same lead on that as he does on the actual GC in that he's leading Jonas Vinegu in who's in second place by five minutes and forty five seconds. And then David Godou in third place is a full eighteen minutes and forty two seconds down. I thought for a brief moment today that my, my David Godou prediction from yesterday was going to be just genius but of course it was not <laughs> it was not it was not genius at all uh my my heart pick from yesterday just didn't didn't quite work out alas Pogaccia is also sixth in the points competition uh with Alaphilippe, Philipson, Colbrelli, Matthews and Cavendish ahead of him and uh, I'm not sure where he's sitting in the team's classification but I'm sure he's winning that too on his own <laughs> now that's Bar- that's Bahrain victorious today Speaking of which, what a segue. What a segue. Uh, I actually don't... Are they still leading it after today? They were leading it coming into today, but I have not looked at that that sheet yet. Yes. Bahrain victorious, leading by 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Oof. Who's the Miles Sabla of the uh, team classification? Anyos Grand of the Years. Oh. In third place. Congratulations to them. <laughs> anyway, yesterday at the Bahrain victorious team hotel, uh, they came down off the mountain and kind of headed towards Poe, which is where we are right now and where the start was this morning. And they got to their hotel and they were met by about 50 police officers who essentially executed a raid, which had been approved by a judge in Marseille. Uh, this this whole thing is basically from a public prosecutor in Marseille. And it's part of this police group called the Office Central de Lutte contre les Attentes à l'Environnement et la Santé Publique. Um, the Central Office of Not Screwing Up the Environment and Health. <laughs> Basically, it's a great it's a great uh, acronym, the O-C-L-A-E-S-P. Uh, that group, which is the same group that, um, that raided Arkea Samsic shortly after the Tour de France last year, apparently had some cause for concern and some reason to go and and raid the Bahrain Victorious Hotel. And according to Mate Mohoric, who we spoke to this morning, uh, they showed up, they demanded access to phones and laptops and a bunch of other stuff. They apparently took some training files, according to a director. As of now, we don't think they've found anything. Uh, Mohoric this morning was, was... he was he was calm um not really defensive but more just sort of like annoyed because basically it it delayed their entire recovery process after one of the hardest stages of the entire tour de france and they didn't get massages until much later or or at all their dinner was interrupted they basically had snacks in their hotel room so the, the riders were a little bit annoyed about this nonetheless they apparently cooperated uh and the cops showed up, did their thing, and left. Yeah, we should say that 
there the allegations that Bahrain Victoria's team are sort of I'm not sure if they're accused of or linked to, but basically the allegations are that they have either the acquisition, transportation, possession, and importing of prohibited substances. So, th so that's that's I think that's just the law, the French law under which this would have been prosecuted if they found something, right? I mean, granted that there must have been some sort of, if not evidence, then at least uh, a source suggesting something, or else I don't think they would put this. You, you don't put fifty cops into motion. Uh, if you don't have at least a little bit, but yeah, that's basically in in France, um, all those things, basically anything related to to performance enhancing drugs, uh, is a criminal offense, which is why the the police can get involved, which is often how these things, uh, it's often how dopers are caught in France because. Frankly, the cops usually have more resources, better resources than the anti-doping authorities. It's it's in, if you look back over the last two three decades, it's actually quite rare for major busts to happen or to to, to start with uh, an actual drug test. They're almost always police actions. Even even like the the, the Adderlas, uh, the most sort of the most recent big one. Uh, both in cross-country skiing and in cycling. That's a police action, not a... Nobody tested positive, right? And those laws that are on the French books make that easier. They, they, they allow for things like this. We have a raid of a, of, a, of a team at the Tour de France. But like we said, they didn't find anything uh, as of yet. And they didn't find anything, apparently, with the Archaea Samsic stuff last year. I mean, they actually took two people into custody in that particular incident, but both were later released, and we've heard absolutely nothing since then about any further action against those individuals or the team or anything like that. Uh, nobody was taken into custody this time. All they took was training files. So, you know, now they know what Walt Pole's threshold is. <laughs> I, I guess that's helpful. <laughs> I, I don't really... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't know what the... This one's confusing. I'll be honest. Like it's confusing. And granted, there's been chatter about Bahrain Victorious for a while now. Shortly before the Tour de France, I think it was early June, there were two anonymous individuals quoted in a Le Parisien uh, report. One was a director of a World Tour team, and the other we don't know who it was. And they were both basically saying, "Bahrain is sketchy. We don't have any proof. We don't have any evidence." But Bahrain is sketchy, right? Uh, I have personally had, let's see, three three different pros not say anything specific, but just sort of like, yeah, they're like really fast this year, like that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't I don't really know what to think. And I'm I'm guessing that that those sort of sort of the rumor mill thing is probably mostly responsible for in the end, what happened last night, the, the raid on this hotel, that they had heard the same things that, that a lot of folks have been hearing. Like we've been hearing these things. There's there's absolutely, it's, I wanna be very clear here. There's absolutely no hard evidence of any sort, nothing whatsoever. Just a lot of people going, yeah, they're fast. Which if you look at the results is true, right? I mean, they've got two stage wins at the Giro this year, three stage wins at, at the Dauphiné this year, a couple stage wins already at this Tour de France this year for a team that really struggled for a couple years. Uh, had nine wins total last year and already has, I think, 18 this year. I believe those are the numbers. Granted, last year was COVID affected, et cetera, et cetera. But still, like a team that has not dominated for 
any any part of his, its existence is very good this year. And so I think that, you know, in cycling, whenever you see increases in performance, whenever you see, well, any good performance, as we're as we're as we're hearing a lot with Tadej Pogacar, people just raise their eyebrows. And that's essentially this is raised eyebrows to the point of a police raid is what happened last night. Our, our, our Belgian cycling friends on sitting next to us are getting photos with Eddie. Do you want to go get a photo with Eddie, Ronan? Let's finish the podcast. <laughs> we have work to do here. We have work to do. <laughs> so as there has been a number of performances recently. Like We had Damiano Caruso finish second in the Giro. We had Mark Padun win two stages in a row in the Dauphiné. We've had coming from relative anonymity. Yeah, we've had um, two Bahrain victorious riders win stages in this Tour de France. Granted, one of them has won a stage in the other two Grand Tours, Mahorich, and he's a monster for Don sure. Tunes has yeah. won a stage of the Tour de France previously, so that that's not exactly out of the ordinary. But we ha- we have seen the team performing. A- Pretty, pretty good for the past two months uh, at a level that we haven't seen them performing at previously. But the, what I'm sort of trying to get to here is like we those performances, as we often see in cycling, have attracted some rumors about how those performances are possible. And I sort of wonder, would we be hearing the same rumors and would we have been, be having the same discussions now about this team if Rod Ellenworth was still in charge? And... You know, we, we, we were hearing about why these performances are possible, how the team has turned their fortune around. Uh, whereas what we're getting at the moment is sort of radio silence from the team. Absolutely. Like complete radio silence. Yeah. And um, well, and you left out you left out uh, Sonny Cabrelli climbing with David Gadu, who turns out is one of the best climbers in this bike race. <laughs> so all sorts of interesting, interesting things. Uh, there's just more people coming to hang out with Eddie. I guess that's not too surprised by that. <laughs> Maybe they're coming to us. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. They're here for us. They're here for us for sure. I keep expecting Emmanuel Macron to just show up. He was at, he was at the race today. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, you know these these things float around in cycling. They just do, and and we have to be really careful particularly sort of in the position that we're in here running with 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 you know speaking to lots of folks in this podcast and and with a <laughs> with a whole website we have to be very careful about about sort of drawing too many lines between points when we don't really know that those lines exist you know like it's it's it is a dangerous game um i fully understand why people draw those lines those lines have for sure existed in the past in this sport and history would teach us that there's likely those things still exist somewhere in the sport now, but still it's, it's yeah. I, I, I struggle with the, um, I struggle with casting aspersions at either an individual or a team based purely off of performance, because there's just so many factors that go into it. That said, like I said, a couple folks have, have expressed concerns to me, uh, basically off the record, like, you know, sort of in confidence. They don't, they don't want to put their name to anything. But that's exactly like the you know the, the director and whoever else that that talked to La Parisienne, right? That there's, there's this, these things are floating around, floating around, and it's hard to really tell whether they're just uh, it's a vicious cycle, and you know the rumors just go around and around in circles, and and you're hearing the same rumor over and over again. We're just playing a game of telephone, or if there's something there. Like I honestly have no idea. 
we, we could sit here now as well and explain most of those performances and you know p- pick we could sit here and pick holes in them yeah. or we could sit here and explain how they are feasible so you know Good really at directions. the moment we have nothing more than what we've just stated to go off of and yeah it's the same as Pogaccia, right like you can you can either you can you can make a very compelling argument that he is so far out of the norm and so exceptional that it can't possibly be believable. You can also make a very compelling argument that, it, that it's the exact opposite. That basically, you know, the, the reason he seems like that is because all of his competition, real competition, is no longer really in this bike race. Even if they're in the bike race, they're like Garrett Thomas and have a separated shoulder, right? You, you can make both of those arguments, I think, in a very compelling way. And frankly, it's just up to everybody out there to, to kind of decide decide what they think because we just don't we just don't know. There is no way of knowing right now. And I know that, you know, people poking around, things get unearthed. Uh, <laughs> I always love the the tweets at, at, at myself or any, any other reporter saying, like, ask the hard question. Like, I'm going to sit in the press conference and ask him if he's a doper and he's going to answer truthfully. <laughs> like, what is that's not really how this generally works. But there are like there's you know, there's obviously there's people poking around. We hear these things. You go down these rabbit holes, you go down these 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 reporting avenues and, and sometimes it's just a dead end. Pretty much every time at the moment it's it feels to be like just a dead end. Sometimes it's not, you know, and sometimes you you, you have a David Walsh who who just chases, 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 and turns out to be right. We just we just don't know. Yeah. We didn't intend to do a big uh, uh, existential doping discussion in this particular podcast, but whenever you have a police raid at the tour, uh, that's just got to talk about it. I might just point out that I am a tech writer and I'm not an investigative journalist. So <laughs> don't be expecting me to find the answers here. There are a lot of very good reporters in cycling, and uh, I can tell you with great confidence that you know if if there's something to be unearthed people are working to unearth it uh not like not i'm including ourselves in that uh but it until until we actually have something uh you know part of journalism is not just publishing speculation until we actually have something or saying it on a podcast (laughs) until we actually have something that's 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 where we are that's where we are right it's it's it is what it is at the moment. Let's leave that there. <laughs> Let's leave that one there. Uh, funny enough, we actually had a similar conversation to this like four days ago. And we ended up cutting it out of the podcast. <laughs> I think we did a better job this time, Ronan. We'll leave this one in. We'll leave this one in. Plus, it's, you just can't avoid it today. I've got blisters on my fingers. I'm holding this mic so tight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's because of Abby, not because of the... Right, this what we're talking about here. I've been warned about <laughs> touching the mic the wrong way. <laughs> I feel like it's a rude thing to say, running. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on to something we can talk about with some level of authority and uh, information and uh, insight. <laughs> Ineos's tactics. This is something we've come back to a couple different times throughout the the month here. And once again today, we saw an example of roughly the same tactic, which was use most of the team 
to do the controlling that they would normally do to, to hang onto a yellow jersey or to try to win the bike race, but instead to set up Carapaz to get third. Uh, how do we feel about what they're doing here? For myself, I've like the whole way through the tour, I've been tr sort of giving any of us the benefit of the doubt. There's been a lot of talk out there about their tactics were squashing the race and uh, you know playing into Pogacar's hands, and there was there was a lot of different talk out there. But I, you know, they're a team who are known for you know they they don't just they don't just um, I don't know what I'm trying they to say. they don't they don't uh, shoot from the hip to yes. use to use you know an American cowboy saying hmm. yeah. And, and you know, as we discussed in a previous episode of the podcast, there, there could have been a tactic there that they were they were working on wearing down today Pogaccia or who who knows what they were planning. But I'm sort of I'm I'm quite disappointed with their tactics today. Personally, you know, it's we've seen yesterday the Carapaz as you know as good an effort as he put in, it wasn't successful, and the, and, and, it, and, it, and it was never going to be. <laughs> It just was never going to be right. Like I guess you can you can you can give them some kudos for trying, but I feel like they've now tried the exact same thing a bunch of times and it didn't work the first four. And so maybe on attempt number five, like try something different. I mean, so Nathan Haas when he was on the on the podcast earlier this 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 race, I thought he made a pretty compelling argument for why they were doing this, which is basically you keep. Not only do you potentially get rid of competitors, but you keep Pogacar under control, right? You, you you prevent him from taking eight minutes on a single stage or whatever he could do if, if you didn't have, you know, control over the situation until quite late on whatever the final climb was. I think that's that was a compelling argument for why they were doing it, uh, in particular when they were trying to keep Carapaz close to everybody else. But, again, on, on attempt number five, like at some point you have... I hate this chair. <laughs> Every time someone walks behind me, my entire chair like jumps up in the air and it's terrifying. I need I need to move at some point. On attempt number four or number five, like you have to you have to try something different. And it, I just don't I don't really understand what they were doing today, other than other than ignoring Pogacar and saying like whatever he's gonna he's gonna follow he's gonna do whatever he wants to do you're not gonna get rid of him we're not even trying to and were they really were they really truly just racing against Vindigo today which okay then then you employ a normal Ineos tactic and a normal Ineos way of attempting to win that one-on-one -on -one duel which is what they've been doing for years and years and years the issue and we said this all the way back to the preview episodes of this of the Tour de France, is that they don't have the strongest guy, and that particular tactic really only works if you set him up, and then at three k to go, you have the strongest rider in the race, and they go do their thing, right? Minus the strongest rider in the race, it's just not a tactic that works. I was, I was okay with their tactic up until today. You know, we've seen them on two, and they rode. I think that was the day we were chatting to Nathan Haas about it, and. You know, we've seen clearly on that stage that uh, Vinigo was the strongest. We've seen a similar tactic from Ineos yesterday. And again, despite Carapaz getting a gap for a while, Vinigo did put an extra second or two into him. And, you know, I'm not saying that they should have went on some mad long-range attack with Carapaz today. But what I do think was that Carapaz's podium position was 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 fairly secure. He's at five minutes from Pogaccia and Ben O'Connor in fourth place is at over eight minutes now. 
what what I would have just liked to have seen today is that Enios went back to their tactics from the Giro of last year, where they were happy to go for the stage win with riders in the breakaway. We've seen how strong their riders are. They can on the tourmalade today. They they can uh, they can blow the blow the race not to pieces, but they they can make a selection there. They rode on the final climb as well, and and again whittled down the group. Those riders could easily have tried to infiltrate the break, go for a stage one, put Teo in there. We talked to him this morning. He didn't. It wasn't chipper. I wouldn't say he was chipper this morning. He came over and said hi, and like he's, he would be a perfect person for that. Absolutely perfect for that. And, and that that's what I would have liked to have seen from him. So they're they're. The chances are now, unless they won the time trial on Saturday, which is unlikely at best. <laughs> um, they're go- they're going to come snowballs away from- chance in hell. I think is the <laughs> I think is the term. Yeah, so they're going to come away from this Tour de France with with a podium place to show for it, and, and that's likely going to be third place. And, and any else, a team who have won the Tour de France so many times, Carapaz, a rider who has won the Giro, been second in the Vuelta. You know, it's. I'm not saying it's one or nothing, but they 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 need to take something away from the race, and, and a stage one would have at least been something to show for it. And I I just feel that the the tactic they played today was already proven yesterday going to be very difficult for Carapaz to win the stage. And by putting someone else into the break, they could have taken away that stage one. Carapaz still would have finished on the podium, which you know, and and as as a is a tremendous result and you know he has then got his his full set of grand tour podiums but they're a team who are known for winning they're not a team who are known for going for second and third position and right i just would have liked to have seen a bit more of that giro d'italia style tactic that we seen last year i i mean just 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 mixing it up right or even even not mixing it up that much just some some very traditional traditional tactics like yeah, just stick guys in, in breaks. They haven't been doing it for most of the of the mountain stages, actually. I think there was one day when they did it, one of the first ones where Carapaz went. But it's they're not even doing that. And that at least gives you the opportunity where, okay, if Carapaz gets a small gap, you can send a guy back really quickly and you can maybe make that gap stick. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But if there's nobody up the road, there's nobody to help him make it work and almost basically nobody in the entire race is going to work with them that entire time so like you're just sort of setting yourself up for failure at that point you're setting yourself up for getting him a 15 second gap and then getting him pulled back right which we saw a couple times in this tour de france so yeah i was just just disappointed just disappointed and i do know they came into this race with we all thought four leaders i, th- I think realistically speaking it was carapaz and thomas were the two the yeah. two leaders and and they were sort of one of the hardest hit teams with crashes. Probably only Jumbo Visma were harder hits. But still, they have the riders there to, <laughs> to go for stage ones and the breaks. And, you know, there's probably people screaming at their earphones now saying, well, the break didn't win today. But anything else played a big part in that. They, they it could have won today if they, if they hadn't pulled. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We talked really briefly about Vindigo. So I, I, I just still haven't seen a lot about guy uh, i'm waiting for kind of like a good profile from one of his, his native language um writers or something like that it's got to happen it'll, it'll, it'll happen probably right after the tour de france when you can finally sit down with him but what a massively impressive ride he's had this entire tour i mean sitting in well, he finished second today he's 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 basically locked in a podium in paris at this point he's a better time trialist than carapaz so almost certainly going to be finishing on, in second place on the podium in Paris, 24 years old. Not, I wouldn't say out of nowhere, 
I think saying out of nowhere is it, it 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 does him a disservice because he's done some things even just this season that were quite impressive. I mean, he won Copia Bartoli, which is which is massive. He then went on and finished second in Italia Basque Country, which is one, well known to be one of the absolutely one of the most difficult one week races on the entire calendar. And I don't mean from a you know the Dauphiné is difficult because everyone's super fit. The Tour de France is difficult because it's the Tour de France. Basque Country is just difficult because it's it there's like three feet of flat space in the entire bike race. <laughs> it's a really, really hard race. You know, to finish second at Basque Country, right behind his own teammate, Primoz Roglic, like if if we were if we were fully paying attention to the random twenty four year old uh, Danish guy, we would have seen this coming, right? Still, massively impressive. Well, he did one on top of the Jebel Jays in the UAE tour earlier this year. I think if I remember right, Pogacar was second. That Simon was the Simon or Adam Yates was third. I can't remember, but one of the Yates brothers was, was Adam third. Yates. Adam Yates, yeah. Uh, and he also put in a fairly impressive performance on the Angry Lou for Pogacar or for Roglic last year. So as you said, he's not. He hasn't come out of nowhere. He's certainly taken a step up this year and. You know, he, he has all but secured his, his podium position. Now, what I'm really interested in is you know, what what do Jumbo Visma do going forward? Is is he now team leader? Like, it's... At, I don't think so. Because, I, 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 I mean, because, well, one, because he's not faster than Pogacar, right? He's not. And and Roglic maybe is sometimes. Maybe. I, so I still think Roglic is, is probably still the, the number one guy at that team. But they do have this problem. They have they have a lot of very, very good riders who are now going to start, they're getting to the age where they're going to start wanting opportunities. You know, we talked to Sepp Kuss the other day on this podcast. Uh, the, the One of the last questions I asked him was basically, like, what do you want to do going forward? Like, you've got these stage wins. You, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the goal here? And he was relatively blunt about the fact that, yeah, like, he'd like to go for some stage races and like to, like to ride for GC. And he still has these, these, like on days and off days, and that's a problem for a GC rider. Obviously, he's trying to, to to work on that. But he's another guy who's going to he's going to want opportunities. I'm not saying he's going to want to you know be a protected rider at the Tour de France, but he's going to want opportunities pretty soon. George Bennett, well, he got an opportunity to Giro, didn't go amazing for him, unfortunately for George. They've just got this massive pile of of really good GC guys now, who. You can keep them all together for a while. And I think Ineos does a really good job of keeping everybody pointing in the same direction. One, because they pay so much. So they're basically like, well, we pay you like a leader, even if you're not actually get to be a leader. Yumbo doesn't really do that. Their budget is much, much, much smaller. So at some point, they're going to start going elsewhere because they can get leadership paydays. Or they're going to, you know, just be disenchanted within the within the team. Yeah, and... Of course, we've got Dumoulin, who may or may not come back to GC racing. Right. They've got Tobias Foss, who has won the Tour de l'Avenir and is presumably another future talent of GC racing. Um, and then they've got Wout van Aert. And how long is Wout van Aert going to be happy giving up his green jersey chances to help team leaders? It's it's a nice problem to have. It's a great problem to have. And, it's, and it, like, frankly, whoever does the... Uh, whoever signs young riders at Yumbo is a genius right because most of these guys when they get brought on they're not on massive contracts they're not 
they're not big names, right? Uh, I mean, SEP is another perfect example. Like SEP came off rally cycling, won a bunch of stuff in the US, but there was no real indication that like this was going to be the guy that he was. You know, you saw him even even today, right? Got stage one already this race. Today, he's last man standing. He did a huge pull for Vinigu. Like he's, but he wasn't brought on knowing that he would do that. But then they end up with a whole bunch of them. They end up with, uh, yeah, six, five, six guys who are just sort of these absolute superstars that weren't, it wasn't obvious on the way in that they were going to, to, to be that. And they weren't hired from other teams after they got good, right? They, they got hired really young from usually smaller teams and then were sort of allowed to blossom. So whoever whoever picks those riders up, brilliant. Whoever develops them is clearly doing a good job. I feel like that's something for us to do in the offseason run is to figure out, find out who those people are and go talk to them because I think that'd be a really interesting conversation. Sounds good, yep. Or good idea. I'll sign that over to uh, Dane. Ian? Matt? Somebody that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so below the podium there was a fair amount of of moving and shaking on the gc today but but like the musical chairs we just seen at eddie's table just now like we heard a lot of noise in the background they were moving and shaking their way around the table quite a bit so what happened well i suppose we probably have to start with rigoberto uran who unfortunately cracked early. Cracked hard. Yeah, on today's stage. Ended up uh, losing... He lost six places today. He's yeah, Rigo, Rigoberto Uran ended up losing nine minutes and eight seconds today. He was dropped on the tourmalade. You know, and, and although he was only, at, if I remember right, about 40, 50 seconds off at the top of the tourmalade, the gap just grew and grew and grew on the descent. And then, you know, the writing was on the wall at that stage. Uh, it was it was going to be a bad day for Iran, and, he, and he's dropped from fourth to tenth. Uh, but that sort of meant that everybody else in between has has moved up a, a place. We have now got Ben O'Connor in fourth place. Amazing ride from from the Australian. Wilco Kelderman fifth place. Uh, both of those two riders finished together today at 44 seconds down. We've got Enric Mass who put on a pretty good performance today. Great show today. Perhaps yeah. the best movie star performance we've seen in the whole race. Uh, Enric Mass is up to sixth position in the GC. Alexei Lusenko, who's a writer I wouldn't have <laughs> predicted to be in the top 10, despite his time trial stage with the Dauphiné recently, uh, is in seventh at 11 minutes and four, 11 minutes and 22 seconds down. We've got Guillaume Martin in eighth, Pil Bilbao in ninth, and then Iran, who we've already mentioned, sitting down in 10th position now. It's an interesting, it's an interesting top 10. It is. Uh, I mean, 10th place is 16 minutes down. <laughs> it's, it's, it has been a hard Tour de France. That much is very clear. Uh, I mean, it, you know, most of that gap is still first to second. <laughs> first to second is 545 at the moment. There, yeah, there's, yeah, it's 545 from first to second. And then we've got just over five minutes covering from second to, uh, well, seventh or eighth position there, uh, five or six minutes. So we've effectively got the same gap between first and second as we have from second, almost the rest of the top 10, which again, just puts Pogaccia's uh, performance into perspective. Does yeah. it? <laughs> again, we're for one of our last episodes here, we have, a, we have a, still a couple days left. We're, we're going to, attempt to put Pogacar's 
performance into perspective, which is almost impossible to do, <laughs> but, but we're going to try anyway. Uh, at least provide some historical context for similar riders, dissimilar riders, where he where he kind of fits in. Again, kind of how unique, how unique and how exceptionally is he really? Uh, and the answer is obviously he, he's he's quite unique and exceptional. But there's been sort of a, there's one of those every generation, basically. If you go back, and so we'll, we'll we'll dig into exactly what that looks like uh, in a, in a coming episode. Not to tease it again, but frankly, we're just not prepared to do that right now. There's, there's, it, we'll we'll talk about it later. <laughs> To be the best requires more than strength and heart. It requires intelligence, anticipation, and the ability to see what others can't. Hammerhead's new climber feature was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers to visualize detailed gradient changes on climbs. Climbers now being used on the most iconic climbs in France and on Hammerhead Karoo 2 head units around the world. To celebrate the release of Climber and the Karoo 2's debut in France, Hammerhead has created a limited-run custom color kit to change out the look of your Karoo 2 moiré mode. With a blue and green textile pattern, this custom color kit stands out. If we're lucky, we might even catch a glimpse of it on the handlebars of the Israel Startup Nation team, including on Mike Woods, Daryl Impey, Dan Martin, and Chris Froome. The fully-loaded Climber-equipped Karoo 2 is available now, and for a limited time, you can get a Hammerhead heart rate monitor for 50% off with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Head over to hammerhead.io. That's hammerhead.io to get yours today. And thanks to Hammerhead for sponsoring today's episode. Should we talk about tomorrow? I suppose we better. Before we get into it too much, uh, let's hear from Jose Bain. It's day 19 and we left the mountains behind for good. It has been a long tradition in the Tour de France to let a Pyrenees stage be followed by a sprint stage and today it might be the same scenario. If the sprinters made it over the mountains within the time limit that is. After almost three weeks we end up near the western coast again, although we don't get to go to the beach. The peloton cruises through the Bordeaux region towards one of the most exclusive wine regions in the world, like Pomerol just east of Finnish place Libourne. I, I know nothing about wine, so I won't pretend I do, but this segment would be very short, so I did some research, especially for you wine connoisseurs, and ended up with some very expensive wine. Chateau Petrus is undoubtedly the most prestigious estate of the Pomerol designation. The vines are about 40 years old and they are grown according to the sustainable wine growing principles and made up of a single red grape variety, 100% Merlot. Petrus only produces that one red Bordeaux wine, and it probably owes its worldwide fame to Mrs. Labat, the previous owner of the chateau, and Jean-Pierre Meux, the current owner. Madame Labat had always thought that Petrus had great potential. She even introduced the wine to the greatest personalities of England at the wedding of Elizabeth and Philip in 1947. Mr. Mouet, a trader who used to sell Petrus wines, managed to make it the Kennedy's favorite wine, which greatly helped to perpetuate its grandeur and incredible reputation. Petrus makes a rich, round and velvety wine full of blackcurrant, cherry, licorice, violet and truffle flavors. Well, I'll look this up, obviously. 
All the grapes are harvested by hand and because the vineyard is quite small, the harvest can be done in one to three days only. The selection of the grapes is rigorous and they produce only 25 to 30,000 bottles a year. Chateau Petrus is obviously an outstanding wine and those who have had the opportunity to taste it, vouch for it. However, even though it's been the best for quite a long time, it has also been facing increased competition. But the legend of Chateau Petrus remains. And it seems that the price of the bottles with a yearly production of only 25 to 30,000 bottles is still not suffering from having rivals. So what does a bottle cost? A piece of heaven in a glass? Well, you won't find it at your local Leclerc or Carrefour supermarket. These bottles are so rare that they sell for high prices and are often seen as an investment. Online, I found bottles of 2,500 euros to vertical collections, so that's all years from, for example, 1945 to 2010, for a mere 250,000 euros. These bottles of Chateau Petrus are often sold on auctions as an investment. So if you have some money to spare, just get yourself a bottle. I have another random post story. This is a fun post story. Uh, I have no idea if this is true or not. I'm just going to preface it with with that, which is I have no idea if this is true. But apparently, there's a restaurant in here in Po called Le Mexican, uh, which is a Mexican restaurant, as you would expect. That um, so back in the day, uh, another example. There's a there's a Mexican restaurant in Poitiers uh, that Greg Lamond loved, absolutely loved. In fact, he would sort of like, I, I got this story from John Wilcoxon. It'd bring reporters to this Mexican restaurant because Greg, like all good Americans, has a real soft spot for Mexican food. Anyway, there's another one here in Poe, which I was told that one year Greg like basically dragged, if not his entire team, then a decent portion of it to this Mexican restaurant, La Mexican, which we're actually thinking about going to tonight. I have no idea if it's even the same one or if it's existed for 30 years or whatever. The sign I cited is definitely from the 80s. The story makes sense. It looks like it might. Anyway, apparently he dragged a good portion of his team to this random Mexican restaurant in Poe because it's rest day and Poe is often often used as a rest day. Uh, And I just love that. Again, as an American with a soft spot for Mexican food, uh, one of the things that you miss when you're in Europe is like a good burrito. And so I can just totally see Greg LeMond being like, no, I'm not having another Magreta Canard. I want a burrito at the Mexican restaurant. Où est à manger ce soir, Kelly? Le Mexican. Le Mexican. Okay. Okay. Anyway, random, random post story. Because uh, there's a lot of them. There's an endless stream of post stories. We could just do an entire episode of post stories. In fact, maybe we'll do that next year. We'll just we'll get a couple of the um, couple journos that have been around for a long time, and we'll just sit down and do Poe's story night because we've all got them. We've all got them. Some weird stuff has happened in this place. Moving on, tomorrow's stage, a sprint stage, uh, a stage in which the man just to our left may end up quite sad. My at right. The end. Your right, my left, uh, may end up quite sad because his record may be broken. Could be. Uh, I'm speak too loud now. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna give us a stink eye. I'm sort of like 
all records are there to be broken eventually. So I'm sort of more interested to see if Mark Cavendish will actually acknowledge it properly um, after tomorrow's stage, if he should win and take the record. So I am assuming that's why Eddie is here. He So he usually comes to the tour at some point every year. Uh, but it's, it's pretty random. And, and it's often when it's, you know, up north, close to where he lives. But he's here tonight with tomorrow's stage potentially being the stage. I don't think that's a coincidence. I really don't. Possibly not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there's a plan in place. I, I Maybe, and I'm sure, you know, cyclists are pretty um, suspicious <laughs> of anything that, that's, that's going to, you know, uh, hurt their luck or affect fate <laughs> or anything like that. So I'm sure that, you know, this probably hasn't actually been discussed with, with Cavendish, but uh, I bet, I imagine that there's a plan in place should should that eventuality occur. We'll see tomorrow, whether it happens or not. Well, yeah. we'll have to see first if, if Cavendish if it happens. wins. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, he, he is sort of unstoppable at the tour this year, given... <laughs> there's no other sprinters here. That's yeah. helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say. You know, he has... The strongest leader train, and there's very little other competition for the sprints left in the race. Um, certainly, when Caleb Ewan had to abandon the race, that that I suppose did Cavendish's chances no harm. Um, and since then, we have seen that the other sprinters just aren't on the same level. The other sprinters in the race just are not on the same level as as Cavendish is. Uh, Buhani, who got closest on a couple of occasions has also abandoned the race slightly strange circumstances there we spoke about that a couple of nights ago yeah and um, we've seen Wout van Aert getting involved in the sprints uh, recently but with the time trial on saturday i'm not so sure we'll see him go for tomorrow's stage we we we, we may we may not he, he may try to save his legs he yeah. may just be Wout van Aert and can do both <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's hard to look past cavendish for for tomorrow's stage and you know when he when he won his previous stage in, in Nîmes and, and sort of drew level with Eddie Merckx we we heard on camera Cavendish was shouting we made history oh yeah but then in the press conference he played it down played it down he, played I mean he was he was excited and he was you know he, he was actually quite introspective and and um Cad's funny like that way it, when when he's you know when he's on a high when he when he's when he's winning he he's an intelligent guy and he can he can He's really introspective, and he can kind of provide an insight that you would normally get. And then when the tables turn and he's in a grumpy mood, you get absolutely nothing out of him. <laughs> he's in a great mood for obvious reasons. Just want to, just one, uh, just want to stage the Tour de France and, and just match the record. So I'm hopeful for a effusive Cavendish tomorrow because I think it'll be it'll be a good one. But tomorrow, if if he wins tomorrow, if he wins it, tomorrow, it's it's not just another Tour de France stage one like it, it and that's been nice to hear you know he's been yeah. taking each stage one and saying you know here look regardless of the number it is he has just won a stage of Tour de France and, right. and so many riders never can achieve that just to when one stage sort of makes a career and, and he's you know he's, he's been at, at pains to mention that every time he's won which is nice to hear but if he wins tomorrow that's that's not another stage one that you know you can't just be happy for that one stage on its own that we know nope. We need more. We need more. <laughs> like I said, I, I I have a suspicion that there's a reason why Mr. Merckx is over here next to us. 
and you know a patch a passing of the torch a, 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 a some sort of thing is going to happen i would imagine tomorrow if that if 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 cap wins but that seems likely so tell me about the stage it's flat it is relatively flat yeah we've won fourth category claim right at the beginning of the stage um, the stage is 207 kilometers long so it's not short it's not going to be easy for quick step to control the race um, no, no doubt there will be some riders looking to get in their break it is really the last chance for anybody who's a non-time trialist or non-sprinter to take take a win there's zero zero chance that quick step lets that happen <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to add some suspense here Katie. just go with it there is this is a yeah again a snowball's chance in hell of a break surviving tomorrow unless they just really mess it up when and granted tim DeClerc, nasty crash the other day and he is one of the guys that would normally be keeping that in check but i mean they're they're all in they're all in for this i mean Cavendish posted on Instagram yesterday a photo of him climbing in the Gruppetto, just literally in like a. You ever see Mighty Ducks? Yep. Yeah, in a flying V, going up the mountain. He's just like stuck in the middle of it. He's got the entire team around him, making sure he makes time cut. Like they're they are all in for this at this point, and there's no chance, zero chance that they let a breakaway go tomorrow. Uh, and even the terrain doesn't favor a late break that they can't control or nothing. That's no. We we have some lumpy terrain coming, you know, in the final thirty kilometers or so. But even that, one or two climbs that, you know, looking at the profile, even it's hard to call them a climb. <laughs> they're they're likely going to be uh, drags out out on the road, and yeah, it's it's it is very hard to look past Quick Step tomorrow, and goes with the sort of trend of this tour so far that it's been quite predictable, I think. In general, yeah. In general, yeah. But despite you know, the fact that we have probably yet to predict a winner in our team. Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> speak for yourself. I got two in a row early this race, and I'm going to hold on to that in my heart forever. <laughs> Who's your pick? Um, Let me guess. Philipson. Is he in the race still? <laughs> is still in the race, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't actually. I didn't check the. Uh, I, I, no, nobody got time cut today, so that's good. All right, we're gonna look at the book here. I'm just gonna double check to make sure that there's no like weird turns at the end. Nope. It's a basically completely straight run in to the. It's the last corner is more than five k. <laughs> away from the finish line tomorrow so yeah i think uh i think cab's gonna take it that's a random pick <laughs> can't say anything else i'm gonna continue my uh losing streak by by picking white van art <laughs> which i suppose is indirectly picking cavendish but my pick is white van art that's a bold play cotton let's see how it works out for you <laughs> all right Thanks, everybody, for listening today. We'll be back tomorrow with yet another Tour Daily episode. We have, what, three? We have three left. I'm not sure we'll make it. I'm genuinely not sure we're going to make it, Ronan. I reckon we could be time cut one of these nights. <laughs> I'm a little concerned. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.